Welcome to the Modern Carnivore Podcast, a guide for those interested in hearing more about hunting, fishing, and other paths to eating more responsibly. Now, here's your host, Mark Norquist. Hey everyone, it's Mark, and welcome to this new episode of the Modern Carnivore Podcast. I'm coming at you from what I will call the uh, Modern Carnivore West office, which is a fish house out on Lake Minnetonka, and it's a cold February day, and it's a great spot to be to be working. It's bright, clear, crisp. It's probably going to get well below zero tonight, so it's uh, it's pretty chilly out. But I'm in here recording this for you, and uh, want to tell you what we're going to talk about today, and that is firearms. Specifically, Firearms Basics. Joining me is John McAdams. John is former military with a deep background in firearms. He's a West Point graduate. He's done tours in Iraq and Afghanistan. And I can think of nobody better to give insights on firearms. You're probably hearing the ice crack outside of the uh, house right now, which is uh, an indication of how cold it is at the moment. But um, again, this conversation with John is a good one. If you're not familiar with firearms, or maybe you are, but you just want to have better insight, John's got good perspectives on history of guns, what guns are good for hunting, but he also is smart enough to recognize that a lot of the information out there is opinion when it comes to preferences, let's say, of certain calibers. So if you have a chance, check out John's podcast and blog. It's called the Big Game Hunter Podcast, and I was a guest on it a couple years ago talking about uh, care and management of wild game. And I think you're going to enjoy John's perspective on this, and I hope you enjoy the discussion. Okay, everyone. Today I am joined by John McAdams. Uh, John is the founder of Big Game Hunting blog and podcast and uh, has a has a really, really interesting background. What we're going to do is we're going to talk today about firearms basics. This is something I've been wanting to do for some time because I think it's one of those topics that can be confusing and 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 at times complex. But what we're going to try to do here today is break that down into some of the, the basic components so that if you're new to hunting and firearms, or maybe you've, you've had a background in them, but there's always been some confusion, uh, we'll try to explain some of that and give give context on on uh, on how to engage with firearms. We're not going to focus today on a very important topic uh, of safety, but um, that is something I just want to make sure any any of you out there who are thinking about going buying a firearm, maybe it's your first, maybe it's it's you have some, but it's something new. I want to make sure you you buy it from a, a proper uh, proper place as well as um, if you have not experienced uh, firearm shooting much, make sure you go out and get your firearm safety from either local gun club or your state fish and game agency. And make sure you've got proper knowledge so you're doing it safely. So, again, uh, today I'm joined by John McAdams. Uh, how are you doing, John? I'm doing good. It's great to be with you here today, Mark. 
Absolutely. So um, I've been a guest on your podcast uh, previously, and, and we've talked uh, before. But I'd, I'd like you to share with uh, share with the audience a little bit of your background. Uh, I believe you come from a, a family of of, of military um, personnel, people who've been part of part of the military, correct? And and that sort of informed your decisions early in life and what you did. Yeah, definitely. And you know, and just just for the audience, Mark was on episode thirty one of the Big Game Hunting podcast. So check out that show if you want to to hear the discussion Mark and I had about taking care of wild game meat. But as far as uh, as far as I go, yeah, I'm originally from uh, East Texas, from the Houston area. Uh, both my parents were in the military. Uh, something I was always interested in, and my dad was uh, a big hunter. Um, enjoyed uh, sh- he shot competitively uh, for a little while, and so it's something I, I, I kind of grew up around and developed an interest in it from a young age, and started participating as a hunter and as a shooter as, a, at a young age. And um, I ended up uh, going to the United States Military Academy at West Point. Graduated there, and I was commissioned as a, a lieutenant, uh, an, an armor officer in the Army. Um, when I graduated, I was stationed in Georgia, um, Fort Knox, uh, or rather Fort Knox in Kentucky, Fort Stewart, Fort Benning in Georgia, Fort Lewis in Washington. Uh, so I, I, I had the privilege of serving at some very interesting duty assignments um, in some very diverse places. We deployed to Iraq in 2010. Afghanistan in 2012, 2013, and in 2012, I started the Big Game Hunting blog. Um, I was look, I was considering getting out of the army at that time. I was enjoying it, but I was, I was thinking, you know, I don't know that I want to do this, you know, for a career. Um, and so I was looking at different, you know, different options for when I got out of the army. Started the blog kind of on a lark, and it, it became more successful than I originally thought it was going to be. And I ended up networking with some people and everything. And so, um, I was like, you know what, I may, I may be able to do this and, um, maybe able to kind of run my business based on the blog. And with some of the other things, some of the other opportunities that came my way after I got out of the army and doing it. And so that's what I did. You know, I never thought I would join the, join the outdoor industry as a kid growing up. I always thought I was going to be in the army forever. And, uh, but it is funny kind of the turns that life takes sometimes. And so, you know, here I am today, you know, I, uh, like you said, I've got the, the big game hunting blog, I've got the big game hunting podcast. And, you know, the mission of both of those is to take, help average hunters get the information that they need to make those hunting dreams, whatever they have uh, a reality. And so I deal with people of a wide range of uh, knowledge and experience levels there, but basically whatever it is that you're dreaming of doing, um, that's different from what you are now, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to help you get there. And so yeah, I provide a lot of knowledge and information with the blog and the podcast. And then with another business that I own, Big Game Hunting Adventures, I set people up uh, with actual hunts uh, in you know, exotic locations like New Zealand and Africa and, and, and whatnot as well um, You know, through there. So there's kind of a little bit of something for everybody there. But I, I talk a lot about firearms, bullets, cartridges, uh, different things like that on, especially on the blog and on the podcast. Um, cause that, yeah, something I think a lot of people have a lot of interest in, and I think it's something that it can be a very contentious subject and it's hard to find good information for a lot of people there. Uh, so I'm happy to be on the show with you today and kind of hopefully provide some useful information to your audience, Mark. 
No, absolutely. I'm I'm really excited for this conversation. Um, you know, and and like so, you know, you do a lot, like you said, with with big game hunting adventures, with your podcast, with the focus on a lot of different topics. But again, uh, I, I think you've got a great uh, basis on which uh, you, you're, you've done a lot of content for firearms, helping people understand uh, what what goes into it. Is that does that really come from, you know, when it comes to firearms, was it something at, at a young age that you really had a passion for? Or, and, and was that part of your military experience? Did you did you were you involved a lot with with firearms? Oh, of course. Yeah. You know, so my dad was, of course, very much into this when I was a when I was a kid. And so there was discussions that I had with him a lot for a young age at a young age. What's the difference between this and that? Why are you using this cartridge and, and instead of that one? And that kind of continued going into the army there. And, um, you know, that's a whole different ballgame going in going into the army and dealing with you know guns and ammunition on a level there. But it was always something that I was fascinated by. And was always trying to learn more about it. And, you know, like I said earlier, it's, it, 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 it can be a very contentious subject uh, in the hunting community because everybody has their pet cartridge. Oh man, I love, I love the 30 out six or I love the 300 win mag. And, um, and, you know, saying that this one is better than that one, um, you know, yeah, that's, that, that's a good way to get into a fight with somebody sometimes. <laughs> and, and it, the the terminology that is used um, with them uh, can be extremely confusing and very very hard to navigate for someone getting into this for the first time, and because of that and because of the biases that a lot of people have, and everyone has biases, I have them too. Uh, there's certain ones that I like more than others, but but um, but for those reasons, it's really tough to break into that and be like, listen, I really just want to know what the difference is between the 270. And the 30 out six, and which you know, I'm, I'm looking to get into hunting. I want to go deer and elk hunting. Which one do I need? And uh, that can be a very confusing uh, area to navigate there, you know, because you you ask that question on a forum, and then someone will you know say something, and someone else could jump on them there, and you know, say, no, you you don't know what the heck you're talking about. You know, this one's garbage. This is what you need to to use there. And the good news is that with a lot of these modern firearms and modern cartridges and ammunition that we use these days the differences between a lot of these different cartridges aren't as big as they're made out to be sometimes and almost all of them are better than what we had access to 20 or 30 years ago even what was considered to be a marginal cartridge for hunting deer when i was a kid you got better ammunition for it now and it's doing a whole lot better and so uh and so like i said there's something i'm I research because I'm very interested in it and I'm just genuinely curious about it. And I know that there's a lot of people that are just trying to figure out this stuff themselves. And so I like helping people navigate it. Well, and that's, I, I, I love what you said there. And you know, I talked about that before too, in terms of, so I'd, I'd like to tell people there are a lot of opinions out there on what's better than, than something else. And the reality is a lot of that's just bluster and personal opinion. And so that's what we're going to try to do today here with John is, is talk through some of the basics to help you understand it and, and also understand that, that there's a lot of options out there and there isn't necessarily always one right answer when it comes to the specifics of gun type and size. But why? Why don't we Why don't we start by, by talking about the history of guns and and 
you know, what we would consider modern firearms. Um, and maybe starting with, you know, flintlock and, and black powder as, as sort of a, a basis for that. Does that, does that sound good? Yeah, it sounds great. So what would you, you know, maybe looking at flintlock and, and black powder, what's a good context to give somebody on how that has transitioned on, on where the modern firearm sort of started with those, those, uh, those rifles and, and guns? You know, so if you go back a couple hundred years and, and, and look to see kind of where guns first really started to emerge, um, th- that item, uh, that people were using back then, we would describe now as a musket or a muzzle loader. And there's a couple of important definitions that go along with that. A musket is a long gun that is loaded through the muzzle. So what the heck is a long gun? The end of the, the, end of the barrel for those yes, who are yeah. unfamiliar with the gun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So a long gun is designed to be fired from the shoulder. So this is different from a handgun, which we'll talk about here in a second. And It'll have a stock on it, and a stock is the part of the gun that connects the firearm to the shooter through the shooter's shoulder. And so usually, you know, back traditionally they were made out of wood, but, you know, today they can be made out of other things. And so the butt is the part of the stock that rests against your shoulder. The forend is the part of the stock at the front where the shooter rests his or her support hand. And so like like you just said, Mark, you know, the – on a barrel, so the barrel is the tube that the projectiles are fired through. The interior of the barrel is called its bore. And the muzzle is the end of the barrel the projectile comes out of, and that is the end of the barrel away from the shooter. The breech is the part of the barrel closest to the shooter. So you have this this gun there that I said. So it was a, it, it's a long gun loaded through the muzzle. So usually that, that means it is single shot, so one shot per barrel. You pour some powder down the barrel, push a, a bullet down the barrel, and then it is loaded, and it needs to be fired some way there. And so for a long time... That was what we used. Uh, it was, and, and we still use muzzle loaders, uh, you know, for for certain tasks and whatnot. But over the course of the next couple hundred years, that evolved uh, into kind of what we have now, where originally it was a smooth bore, which a smooth bore is exactly what it sounds like. It's just a smooth tube that your projectiles are fired through, and then gradually they added rifling to it. When rifling is a grooves cut into the barrel that impart a spin on the projectile. And this makes it a little bit more accurate. That comes at the cost of being uh, slower and more difficult to load than a smooth bore. But you got a longer effective range and it's more accurate. Gradually, we invol- evolved into maybe around the Civil War era where you had um, what we would call now a breech loader. So instead of putting the bullet and the powder down the front of the barrel, Usually through opening a lever, you're able to put your projectile and your your powder in through the rear of the barrel, which is much faster uh, to load. And so originally, you had what was called a flintlock ignition, where you, exactly what it sounds like, you would have a hammer with a piece of flint on it that when you squeeze the trigger, a spring brings the hammer forward. The piece of flint would hit a piece of steel, create some sparks, and then that would ignite the powder. That gradually evolved into what we call a percussion system. Percussion, a percussion cap is a little metal cap that has a, a small amount of what we call a shock-sensitive explosive on it. And so you, instead of on a percussion cap gun, it looks very similar, still has a hammer on it, but instead of a piece of flint, you just put a little percussion cap on the vent hole there. When the hammer hits it, it creates a little explosion, and then that fire uh, that is the result of that ignites the powder. So it's 
little bit more reliable than a flintlock ignition. And so that is very similar to what we use to ignite powder and ammunition these days. And over the course of history, you also had kind of the evolution of the cartridge. So go way back in time to say like what Daniel Boone or Davy Crockett used. A lot of those guys, you take your powder horn, pour a little bit of powder down the barrel, then put a, then ram the bullet down after it. Well, like around the Civil War era and a little bit you know, before then, too, you had what was called a cartridge. So you had a pre-measured amount of powder with a bullet there with it. And the bullet is the thing that actually goes down the barrel. And we can talk a little bit more detail into that here in a second. Uh, but you would have, say, the powder and the bullet wrapped up together in paper to make it faster to load. Instead of having to do them separately, you just kind of do them together. Gradually, that evolved into similar to what we have now, a metallic cartridge. So instead of having it wrapped in paper, you had some brass or some copper with some with some powder in it, with the bullet attached to it, and then with a primer, very similar to a percussion cap at the end of it there. And then, like I said, right around the time of the Civil War, you started seeing this used on a, on a large scale where you would have a breech loader that could be loaded with a metallic cartridge that is much faster and much more reliable than a lot of those uh, muzzle-loading uh, guns that we used for a long time. And then gradually we went from black powder to what we use now as smokeless powder. And so you you go to the store and you buy any ammunition off the shelf and it's going to have smokeless powder in it. And smokeless powder isn't really smokeless per se, but it produces a whole lot less smoke than black powder. And it's a lot cleaner and it's a lot more powerful than black powder. So over the course of this time, we evolved from, say, a flintlock smoothbore musket that's loaded through the muzzle, ignited with a piece of flint with black powder, to what we have now, where you have a rifle that is loaded through the breech with a metallic cartridge that uses smokeless powder that is both more powerful and more reliable and more accurate and easy to use than what we had a couple hundred years ago. And that to me seems like the way you just summarized it. I love the way you summarized that. Um, the biggest modernization step. There's there's all kinds of other subtleties uh, subtleties and changes over the last you know let's say 100 and some years. Um, but those are the major differences. And and now once you get to that breech loading uh, cartridge with a rifled barrel for, for rifles uh, using a smokeless powder, that's pretty much where we're at still today. And that's what we had 100 years ago, and it's where we're still at today, right? Yep. There's been some incremental improvements to rifle, bullet, and powder design since then, but we haven't had a big quantum leak forward like the switch from black powder to smokeless powder since the early 1900s. Right, right. Cool. So let's um, – so let's you, you touch on I think that's great in terms of the basic parts of of a long gun a firearm you've got your stock which rests against your shoulder you've got the fore forearm where your 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 steadying hand is 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 holding the barrel going through that forearm resting on top of it um, and and then and then the sights which could be open sights or other correct yep so there's a couple different sights that you can use there and they can be broadly uh, split into open sights and optics. And basically the sights are, you have you know, a front sight and a rear sight, and you align them in a certain way uh, in order to make sure the gun hits where you want it to hit. And there's plain old open sights, which are just a V 
So you would have, say, a V in the in the back and a single post in the front, and you line them up, and that'll work. You can have uh, what's called a peep sight where or an aperture sight. Instead of a V in the rear, you would have a, a hole uh, that you would look through, and you would basically center your front sight in that hole and, and, and shoot it that way. Uh, and, and there's some other ones, but those are two of the big, uh, the most common ones there. And then most people these days hunt with some sort of an optic on it. Uh, some people use uh, something like a red dot sight, which is very simple. It doesn't provide any magnification, but it's basically a piece of glass with a beam of light projected onto it that is makes a little, what you call a red dot. And you put the dot where you want to hit and, and you shoot. And that's very fast target acquisition, very good for shooting at close range. But most people use some sort of a telescopic sight which is exactly what it sounds like. And it can be various different um, levels of magnification, but basically it's something to make the target appear a little bit closer to you than it actually is, and you have some crosshairs inside of it. And you, once the rifle is sighted in properly, you just put the crosshairs where you want to hit, and then that's where the bullet will... If you do your part as the shooter, that's where the bullet will hit. And that makes... This is what a lot of people use for a number of reasons, one of which is just because it's very easy... Uh, very easy to use it's one single focal plane that you see the target you see your sights overlined on it overlaid on it and then that's that's where you need to hit you don't need to mess up mess around with aligning a rear sight a front sight and the target all in one thing and a scope a good scope like i said provides a little bit of magnification it also provides a little bit more um uh, what's the word I'm looking here for here? Better performance in low light conditions. Yeah. Um, so if you're like you're hunting deer, um, the early morning and the late evening is some of the most productive times to do that. And you may not have it may be legal to shoot at that time, but you may not have enough light to actually be able to properly see your target and your sights. But with a scope you, that can help uh, with that a little bit compared to iron sights. Yeah, especially especially good quality glass once you mm-hmm. once you get it on, and 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 just so people know, also you know you you don't have to have you know um, have to have optics uh, or glass on on a gun, um, but it, it definitely can be helpful. You know, I l- often like to say you know and start with with open sights, especially if you're doing small game or you're doing let's say. Um, you know, big game hunting in fairly dense areas. A lot of the places I hunt whitetail, the, the longest shot I'm ever going to be able to take just because of the density of the, of the woods is, is probably 50 yards. And, and even though I do shoot with a scope, most times nowadays, you're, you can be just as accurate with the, with some iron sights at that, at that short distance. But why don't we, why don't we talk about a little bit about, um, I think that as far as, as, as the different parts of, of, a, of a firearm leads us into a good discussion off of, off of glass onto what types of guns would use glass. So let's, let's talk a little bit about shotguns versus rifles versus, versus handguns and others for a moment. Sure. So there's a very precise legal definition uh, for for these different types of weapons that's defined in the in federal law. And state law can be a little bit different than federal law, uh, but for the for the most part, this is a great way to to kind of start there. So earlier I talked about long guns and handguns. So like I said, a long gun is a gun that is designed to be fired from the shoulder, and a long long guns can be further subdivided into shotguns and rifles. And so a shotgun is a weapon that is intended to be fired from the shoulder, but the most important thing about it that differentiates it from a rifle is that it has a smooth bore. Uh, 
and a whereas a rifle like i talked about earlier has some rifling grooves cut into the barrel to impart some spin on the projectile so a shotgun you can fire and it usually has a smooth bore sometimes you can have a rifled bore uh, barrel on it to shoot slugs but i don't want to uh, kind of go down that route right now just out of, out of confusion but basically if you go to the store and you tell them okay i want to buy a shotgun you know, they're going to give you a Remington 870 or a Mossberg or, or something like that that is a shotgun. And you might have the opportunity to switch out the barrel, but it's going to come with a smooth bore. And the vast majority of shotguns are used with a smooth bore. And you can fire a single projectile, which is a slug, which would be good for hunting big game like deer or, or bear or whatever. But most of the time you're going to be using what is called shot out of it. And a shot is basically a large number of very, very small projectiles that are that are fired out of it. And, and I'll go into more detail about that here in a second. But so um, for a shotgun, it's a long gun with a smooth bore barrel, and you can fire either a single projectile or a number of shot from it there, birdshot, buckshot. And like I said, we'll talk about more of that in a second. A rifle is a long gun that has a rifled barrel. So you can you fire a metallic cartridge through it. It has some rifle rifling in the barrel there that imparts a spin on the projectile to stabilize it. And a rifle is going to have normally a much longer effective range than a shotgun, uh, but it usually only fires one projectile at a time. So, uh, and we'll get into the uses of them um, of a shotgun versus a rifle here in a minute. But just note that that's kind of the difference there that you have a longer uh, effective range with a rifle than you do with a shotgun and the type of projectiles that you shoot out of them are a little bit different now a handgun is a weapon that is intended to be fired from one hand now so most people shoot a handgun using both hands but if it is if it doesn't have a stock and it's designed to be fired from one hand then it is a handgun and there is a number of different options that you can go with with handguns and everything. Some of them can be quite powerful and even use a, a rifle cartridge. But for the most part, your average handgun cartridge is going to be a lot less powerful than your average rifle cartridge. And, yeah, and like you said, you know, I, I know of some people, that, depending upon state regulations, who who will use try to use handguns for um, for hunting and and either due to special regulations, due to disabilities or, or other regulations. But generally speaking, most people don't don't use a handgun for for hunting. Yeah, and that's that is and and, and you're exactly right. Some people enjoy shooting handguns; they enjoy the challenge of it. A handgun is a lot lighter and easier to carry than a rifle or, or a shotgun. It's a lot more portable, but it normally comes with the significant downside of being less powerful and much more difficult to shoot accurately at extended range. And like a long range shot for a lot of handguns is 25 yards. You can shoot them further than that, but taking a hundred yard shot with a handgun um, is pretty challenging. And whereas that's not that long at all with the, with a rifle. Right. Yep. And then why don't we touch on, um, you know, assault style guns that as, as a, as a term that gets used a lot in, in, uh, I would say in politics and in the news, we hear a lot about, about these days. Um, I, generally speaking, I would say, you know, most people, uh, or a lot of people don't use them for hunting. Some people are going to use uh, something like an AR-15 for hunting. I don't know many people that do that. I think it's more of a more of a range gun. 
Um, but why don't you just just touch on it for a minute? Because I think it is one of those things that can be again can be really confusing. No, and it, and it is, and it's an it is an intentionally confusing term. Uh, assault weapon is, and so we could have a whole podcast just talking about this, but. Basically, like I was talking about earlier, you have rifles that are much more powerful than handguns. And you have what is called an intermediate cartridge that is more powerful than a handgun cartridge, but less powerful than a full-size rifle cartridge like the .30-06, uh, for instance, there. And so there was a weapon designed by the Germans in World War II called the Sturmgewehr 44. And that literally translates from German into English as assault rifle 44. And it used a cartridge that was intermediate in size, more powerful than a handgun, less powerful than a rifle. And the other very important thing about it was that the rifle was what is called select fire. And select fire is where you, by just flipping a switch on the rifle, you can switch it from semi-auto to full auto. Semi-auto is where you have you squeeze the trigger one time and it fires one time. Full auto, and this is a very precise definition set out in U.S. law, where you have a single function of the trigger fires more than one shot from the firearm. So you squeeze the trigger and it fires two shots. That is a machine gun. And so if you have a weapon that is able to fire both semi-auto and full auto, then it is a select fire weapon there. And so this is assault rifle, assault weapon are things that are um, not really well defined. And But generally the U.S. Army, like I talked about with this German rifle, uh, a, an assault rifle is defined as a short, compact, select fire weapon that fires a cartridge intermediate in power between a submachine gun and a rifle cartridge. And so you have a couple different elements of it there, but basically... The, a, the M16 that is used by the military, same with the AK-47, they are legitimately assault rifles as defined by the U.S. Army because they, they use that, um, that intermediate cartridge and they can fire both full auto and semi-auto. Your AR-15 that you, know, you and I can just go to Bass Pro or, or you know, whatever sporting goods store and pick up there is not going to be able to fire fully automatic. It will look similar to an M16, but it is not – it can fire semi-auto only, and that's a very important distinction there. It, and, it is, and that's the one thing I guess I, I want to make sure people understand because, you know, semi-auto auto to full auto is obviously a, a, a very significant issue to be clear on because there are a lot of, of hunting um, – hunting uh, – rifles and, and shotguns that are semi-auto and when you terms such as assault weapon as sort of generically used etc are used i think they they can sometimes lump those together with with machine guns correct and that is correct and and like you said there's a lot of semi-auto rifles out there i mean the ar-15 is the most popular single model of rifle, I think of even firearm in the United States. And so it's incredibly popular and very widely used, sometimes for hunting, sometimes for uh, sporting use and competitive shooting because it's a it's a well-designed gun that's easy for a lot of people to shoot accurately. Uh, and so it, it's fun to shoot and a lot of people use it that way. It's got a very it is, recoil, correct? It does, yeah. And it's it, it in many cases, it is it is 
well designed, extremely well designed, and the because of the moderate recoil of the rifle uh, and just some of the other features on it, it's easy for the average person to shoot it pretty darn accurately. And, and, and just to clarify, since I brought up that term, when I when we talk about recoil, what we mean is the amount of kick that the that the rifle will have or the shotgun has against your shoulder for a long gun when you're shooting it. Um, and so that's where when we say it's got a light recoil, it's not going to buck too hard against your shoulder. And so, and that's exactly right. You know, uh, you know, for every for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction uh, there, and it just simply, you know, rifles like the AR-15 are normally chambered in a cartridge that has a relatively light recoil that's not difficult for a lot of people to handle. You know, just one one last thing on this. You know, before we before we move on, you know, the rest of our discussion. I don't want to talk spend the whole time talking about uh, assault weapons or assault rifles. Um, it is possible to own a machine gun in the United States, but there's a lot of legal hoops that you have to jump through, and it's not something your average person uh, is able to do. Those guns are extremely tightly regulated, and there's a very small number of them that the that people are allowed to, you know, the civilians are allowed to own. They're also almost never used in crimes. Um, since they were regulated, started to get regulated in 1934, I think there's been exactly like one murder committed with a legally owned machine gun in the U.S. Even so, um, rifles like the AR-15 that are uh, not nearly as tightly regulated, that can fire only semi-auto, are also very, very rarely used in crimes. And so it is something that they look scary and they um, look similar to military-style weapons. But the fact of the matter is, you know, assault weapon is a made-up term that is used... Uh, intentionally trying to be scary looking and intentionally trying to be confusing, trying to just take people that don't really know anything about guns one way or another and lead them to believe that you're dealing with something that's just not the case there. And, and the final thing I'll, I'll say about this is too, is that almost all modern firearms could be described as military style guns. Uh, even the, even a flintlock, you know, musket that, you know, is very very old is essentially the same in appearance and in function to the military guns that were used back in the colonial era and even if you go to modern day a lot of the uh, bolt action rifles that are very popular among hunters are very closely related both in appearance and in function to springfield and mauser bolt action rifles that were used by the military you know in the early 1900s there as well and so once again, just just a made-up term, but it's important just to 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 know these definitions there, so, you know, so you so you know what you're talking about when other people are mentioning this to you. Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's um, dive a little bit into into the different actions. So again, if we look at if we just recapping here, the basic parts of the gun: you got the stock, you got the form, the barrel, the sights. The action, which is oftentimes the uh, the thing that that varies quite often. So maybe touch on the various actions, and again, these could apply to both to long guns in either the shotgun or the rifle format. Shotgun for more birds, uh, rifle uh, generally for for more terrestrial game. 
So action can describe two different things. One, action is the um, is a, a physical piece of a of a firearm, and that is the legally that is the thing that makes that is the gun part of the gun. That is the serialized portion of the firearm there that that it, that is regulated. Um, you know, you can you can get a new barrel for it, you can get a new stock, you can get new sights, and all that stuff is very easy and simple to do but legally the action is the part of it that is the gun and that is that is the regulated part of it there and that is the part um immediately uh behind the barrel uh where you would have the bolt and where you would put the where you chamber the ammunition into the gun now there's different functions different ways that the action can work like you said you have a single shot where usually that's that's what's called a lever action and there's a lever under the gun that you would move forward, and then that will open the breech and allow you to chamber a cartridge uh, in the rifle and load it. And then you would close the the lever and close the breech in order to fire it. You can have a lever action that is single shot. You can also have a lever action that uses a magazine and is what I referred to earlier as a repeater. And there's a number of different examples of both of those. Uh, but it's basically just the way that you load the right load and reload the firearm that you're talking about especially going back way back in the day where i was talking about muzzle loaders where you would be able to load your barrel one time shoot it have to reload it one of the things that became somewhat popular there was um, to have a firearm with more than one barrel uh, this is very common with shotguns where you'd have a double barrel shotgun so they take a long time to load but once you've got them loaded, you have two shots that you can shoot instead of just one. And so there was many double-barreled shotguns as well as some double-barreled rifles and uh, as well as some others. You can still find multiple-barrel firearms that are loaded from the breech. Usually they're a break action where you would have a lever that you would push on the receiver of the gun that would uh, break it open. And you you uh, load, your, load the cartridges in from the rear, close it, and then shoot it. Uh, additionally, you have so you could have a double barrel or a multiple barrel gun that is both a breech loader and a muzzle loader. Usually these days, you're going to see that as a shotgun that is a breech loading shotgun. Uh, you also have a, a pump action where under the so we talked about the stock. You have the fore end of the stock, which is under the front of the barrel. On a and I also talked about how that could be a one piece or a two piece stock. Well, on a pump action uh, firearm, you would have a two-piece stock in the forend there. You could grab with your supporting hand, pull towards you, and uh, rack it back and then back to the to the front. And then that is how you would cycle the action there. So you fire a shot, bring the forend back to the rear. That will eject the spent cartridge, bring it back to the front. They'll chamber a new cartridge into the firearm so you can shoot it again. That's very common with shotguns, and there's also some rifles that do that too. Yeah, and I think for people who are interested in bird hunting, um, I think most common in what you're going to see when you start looking at shotguns, uh, whether you're hunting upland birds or waterfowl, is you're going to see uh, a lot of pump actions for an entry-level gun, like the two models you mentioned earlier, a a Remington 870 or a Mossberg 500 or or, or, uh, or, or pump action shotguns, 
or um, the the double barrels, which could either be side by side or over unders, not to complicate things too much there, but just sort of the orientation of those barrels. But generally speaking, for for um, for people hunting birds, those are those are the most common, I, I I would say. And I think you know, again, pump being more of an entry level. When you get into double barrel. Um, that's that's you know some it's not always the case but i think more often than not it's you're getting into the upland aficionados those who really uh are are liking a lot of the traditions and especially if it's a side by side oftentimes they're they're beautifully made walnut stocked scrolling on the side of of the of of the barrel etc um uh art pieces <laughs> if you will yeah definitely yeah yeah, those guns are quite a bit more expensive oftentimes, not always, but usually. But yeah, a pump action shotgun is a great way to kind of get started there to get a reliable shotgun that doesn't cost a lot of money. Right, right, exactly. I've still got my Mossberg 500 that at this point is, oh my gosh, almost 40 years old. And it's gone to the bottom of the lake and it's and it still, <laughs> it still works pretty good. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, um, and that's exactly right. Uh, you know, I have a pump action shotgun too, and, and it is great. And you see, it, you know, there's nothing wrong with getting a, a double barrel, a side by side or a, or an over under shotgun, but it's not something that you need to get, um, you know, j- just to, just to be a hunter, you know, you get one cause you, cause you like one and, and usually they're very well made and they fit you really well and they can shoot extremely well. Um, but quite often they are a lot more expensive and it's not necessary for a lot of people. And relative to the, the, the amount of, of ammunition that you're, that you're able to hold then also with a, with a, a pump action uh, um, shotgun, like in Minnesota for waterfall hunting, we can have three shots, one in the chamber and two in the magazine Um, for, for a lot of upland hunting. If you're shooting a side by side or an over under, uh, double barrel, two shots is all you have. But for most quarry, that's all you're going to have. <laughs> that's all you're going to yeah. be able to shoot anyways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely right. Hey, this is Mark. And I just want to quickly thank you for listening to the podcast and also tell you about one of our partners, Sitka Salmon Shares. This company is like a vegetable CSA, except for it's completely focused on wild-caught Alaskan fish. So here's how it works. You pre-order your share of the harvest for the upcoming fishing season, which is April to December, and then this determines how much they're going to target in their catch for the season. Result is each month you'll get your share of the catch delivered right to your doorstep. This is about four and a half to five pounds of fish. So here's what I love about this company. These are real independent small boat family fishermen. Check out their stories and videos on their website. You know, it's it's not a multinational corporation with staff who are on a factory boat processing the fish. These are small boat fishermen. And they're focused on responsibly catching these fish, both from the methods they use, which nearly eliminate bycatch, to targeting the right species at the right time so that they can sustainably manage the fishery up there. And the result is some of the best quality fish you could get anywhere. 
So go to SitkaSalmonShares.com and use the code ModCarn25 on checkout and you'll get $25 off your premium share for the upcoming fishing season. Again, just enter ModCarn25 on checkout at SitkaSalmonShares.com. So, um, okay, so popular, uh, again, those are some of the popular actions with shotgun. Um, how, about, how about rifle then? Yeah, so I talked about um, lever-action rifles a second ago, and so that was really the first repeating rifles that you got were lever-actions, and they were very good, and they're still around, and they're still great guns, uh, but there was definitely some limitations to them there, and so which is why towards the end of the 1800s, you started to see what we would now call a bolt-action rifle start to appear, and so these Instead of working a lever under the gun to cycle the action, there's a bolt on the side there. And so to you'd grab the bolt uh, bolt lever, bring it up, bring it back towards you, um, eject the spent cartridge, push it back forward, and then bring the hammer or bring bring it down. So there's a there's an upward motion and then a forward and back motion to it as well. That can that makes for a much st- more stronger lockup on the action than what you could get with some of the lever action rifles of the day. And that allowed them to use much more powerful cartridges uh, when smokeless powder really started coming along. And it, uh, it was also just a very reliable and easy way to make an accurate uh, action on a gun. And that's not to say that a lever action rifle isn't safe to use or it's not strong because modern ones are. Um, but bolt-action rifles are really the way to go now uh, if you want a, a good hunting rifle chambered in a, in a, in a really powerful cartridge that you, you can do a lot with. You know, a, a lever action is probably going to be a little bit faster to cycle, and if you're hunting at, at short range, like a lot of people do, like, um, like in maybe Minnesota or East Texas or whatnot where you're taking a 50-yard shot, um, an old 30-30 lever action is going to work great, uh, but that rifle is not going to be the best choice if you're hunting, say, out west and you, you need to take a longer shot. There's there's pros and cons to them all, but bottom line, a bolt-action rifle, they're both great. A bolt-action rifle is probably more popular these days than a lever action, uh, you know, for the for the reasons I just listed. And the the last one uh, really we need to talk about is a semi-auto gun, and I, and we talked about this briefly a second ago, but basically. A semi-auto firearm uses either the energy uh, produced by the recoil of of shooting or from the gas that is expelled down the barrel to cycle the action. And so it requires no input from the shooter after the trigger is pulled. So you squeeze the trigger, the the action will cycle on its own, it'll eject the spent cartridge, load another one, and it'll be ready to go. All you need to do is squeeze the trigger again, one shot to fire one time there and, and you can continue to do that as long as there are rounds in the magazine and there are semi-auto shotguns semi-auto handguns semi-auto rifles uh, and those are great because they don't like i said they don't require any input from the shooter and so consistency is extremely important uh when you're trying to shoot accurately and that's consistency from the ammo consistency from the rifle consistency from the shooter and Generally speaking, and like I'm speaking in very broad generalities here, a semi-auto rifle is great because it minimizes any inputs that have to be made by the shooter. And for the most part, 
the shooter is the weakest link in that chain right there. And that goes for me as well as almost any other hunter. You, almost all my guns can shoot accurately than I can shoot them. Um, <laughs> but with a semi-auto, you get into a good shooting position, squeeze the trigger, and it fires. And then you don't have to do anything else. You don't have to move or anything. You just stay in that position and squeeze the trigger again if you need to shoot again. And so that minimizes the chances of you doing something wrong where you have to reach over and work the bolt on the rifle and then get back into a position. And so it can be, one, it is faster for a follow-up shot, and two, it, like I said, it minimizes the chances that of your inputs messing up your accuracy. The downside of it is, is that a semi-auto rifle is generally capable of a little bit less accuracy than a bolt-action rifle. Uh, there because you're because the bolt is moving um, from either from the recoil or you're taking a little bit of gas off of it each time. It's just another factor of things that can go wrong. For most people, there's not going to be a tremendous amount of difference in the practical accuracy of them there. But the other thing that you need to consider is the reliability of it. In some guns, uh, a really good semi-automatic gun is going to be very very reliable and work all the time, but not of not all of them are like that. And I have a semi-automatic shotgun that is very finicky about the ammunition that I use in it. It'll shoot just fine, but it won't always cycle reliably. And so it's just what, you know something to kind of keep in mind right there. And semi-auto guns are also usually a little bit more expensive than any of the other actions that we talked about there. Yeah, and that's and that's where I think you know from a practical standpoint, the the application of a semi-auto. In my for my opinion, um, waterfall hunting, where you're hunting ducks or geese, and you you're going to have, you know, a large group of birds come over and potentially in rapid succession, you're going to have multiple opportunities to to shoot, and that's where an auto can be very nice, but it is also a situation like you just said, John, where I, I've got a I've got a a, a um, a Browning Gold Hunter from years ago that was that's a semi-auto that I love, um, but it started having issues in recent years, and so they are finicky, and that's where you know as compared to a pump where you're physically ejecting the shell and, and reloading a new one, there's probably more reliable. Um, but I think there's there's pros and cons to each, obviously. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, my my shotgun is great for for waterfowl hunting and exactly like you said but yeah it's a, a pump action shotgun uh, unless it's just a total piece of junk it's got to be very very dirty and abused to not cycle reliably when you work on that pump <laughs> <laughs> right right exactly versus yeah it being a, a semi-auto being a little dirty and, and possibly jamming up um not again not a not a safety issue but it's just not going to cycle that next shell when when you need it uh potentially so um I think this is a good transition into the part where we start to slide into potentially confusing and or complex issues, and that is around ammunition. Um, so why don't you talk a little bit about, you know, the physical characteristics of, uh, of ammunition and, and what's going on. And, and when, when we talk about colloquially uh, the bullets, uh, what, what are we referring to? Yeah, and so that's this is an area where people can kind of get into trouble there with, with their terminology. Basically, loaded ammunition is what you would cons- – what another term for that would be would be a cartridge. So I, I, I talked about it earlier, and I'll, and I'll talk about it now uh, again just to kind of reinforce it. A cartridge 
consists of a case, and that case is filled with some propellant, which in this case would be some smokeless powder if you're using uh, modern ammo. Uh, at the base of that cartridge is going to be a primer, and then at the other end of it is going to be the bullet. And the bullet is the projectile that's actually fired down the barrel. So you put all of those things together, and you have a cartridge. The firing pin on your on whatever your, your firearm is that you're dealing with that will strike the primer, that will... Uh, the primer will then have a small explosion inside of the, the cartridge case that will ignite the powder in it. And then that explosion from the powder igniting will push the bullet out the barrel. Um, people will refer to cartridges as bullets sometimes. And that is technically incorrect. Uh, but it's one of those things that people know what you're talking about uh, with it. But like I said, the bullet is the only thing that actually comes out the out the barrel. The cartridge is everything together there so if you refer to ammo or ammunition that is the same thing as a cartridge uh, but once again um yeah that, that, that is a term if you use the term cartridge or loaded ammunition then you're going to be technically correct and even if you said oh i'm going to go get some i'm going to go pick up some bullets at the store someone they'll probably know what uh, you're talking about but you might get corrected on it so <clears throat> to break it down, and, and also then the difference, and again, not to, not to confuse people, but when you're talking a rifle or a handgun, you'd be talking cartridges. When we're talking shotguns, we're generally referring to shot shells, correct? Yes. And so the same basic premise is the same of a shotgun shell. Um, you're still going to have a case on it, but usually instead of a metallic, like a brass or a copper case, it's usually going to be plastic nowadays. Uh, but same deal, that case is going to be filled with the powder the pri and then the primer on the end and then the shot at the end of it there that is expelled down the barrel. And so we can we can go ahead and talk about uh, w w what shot is if you want now too. Yeah, yeah. Why, why, why don't we go into that again? We're talking about a shotgun. So shot. What you know? I I don't know. If, let me ask you this: Is this? It, it, I, I like for new hunters to use use the term bird shot, even though I'm not sure if that's accurate or not. To, just because it implies it, it makes that connection that's very. Uh, understandable, I think, for people that it is primarily used in situations where you're, you're hunting birds. Um, but I don't know. Is, is that is birdshot accurate for anything? I, I suppose once you get into buck, anything that's not buckshot, but but uh, coming out of a shotgun. Shell? Generally, yes. And, okay. Uh, so shot is a number of very small diameter projectiles that are fired at the same time, and so there's a wide range of the exact sizes of those projectiles. The smaller they are, then the more of them that they're going to be inside of a shotgun. And so um, the, they are expressed in terms of numbers. So you could talk about, okay, I'm using number seven shot. And this is one of those areas where things can get very confusing. Right. Basically with shotguns, the larger the number is that you're talking about, the smaller it actually is. So number eight shot is going to be smaller than number seven shot, which is no, smaller than number six shot. But you're talking about very microscopic differences in the size of the individual pellets. And so you can have several hundred of them there for the very small shot. And as you work up in size, then the individual pellets will get bigger, but there will be fewer of them in the same size shell. And so, yes, bird shot is generally considered to be the small the 
stuff on the smaller end there. And in general, the size shot that you use is related to the size of the game that you're using. So for a smaller game, like uh, say a dove, you're going to use a smaller size shot than you would for larger game like a turkey. So you might be using number eight size shot for a dove and number four size shot for a turkey. And then even bigger for something really big like a, like a goose. Right. And so again, to compare and contrast, the, the shot would be the, for the shotgun would be the equivalent of the bullet in the rifle. Yes. But instead of shooting one projectile out, you may be shooting 200 of those small projectiles out. And as you shoot them out of the of the shotgun, they're going to start spreading out uh, as as they exit the bore. And the the exact details vary depending on a, a number of different factors. But generally, the further away you get from the shotgun, the bigger that pattern gets. And so whereas with a rifle or the handgun, you're going to shoot one projectile and it's going to hit where it's going to hit. And then with a shotgun, those the, the, all those individual pellets of that shot will expand and make a pattern out there. And that thing at 30 yards may be three feet across. And that is important when you're shooting a moving target like a bird where you don't have to be extremely precise with it. you got to get close enough to it. But instead of hitting that small bird with one projectile, you have a pattern that may be several inches or several feet across. And then some of those pellets will hit the bird and then hopefully kill it uh, after hitting it. And the other thing is, too, is that since these individual pellets are so small, they're not going to travel nearly as far as a big, high-velocity projectile will from a rifle. And so that, that is a safety issue there. So the, the pellets may only go 50 or you know a couple hundred yards, and that's the end of it there, whereas a rifle may go a couple miles if you shoot it up into the air. Right, absolutely. So... Not, I, I want to touch on this without going too far, and that is, you know, you you just talked a few minutes ago about terminology of cartridge versus bullet when it comes to rifle ammunition. Um, let's let's talk about the the sizing and specifically caliber within rifle and handgun versus gauge for shotgun. Yes, so caliber is how you express the internal diameter of a gun barrel. And this can be used either in the imperial system or the metric system. But basically, if you're talking about a 30 caliber rifle, it is something that is approximately 30 one hundredths of an inch in diameter. So 0.3 inches is going to be the, the caliber of, the, of that rifle there or, or of your handgun. Uh, like I said, you can talk about it in using inches, or you can talk about it using uh, the metric system, where you could have a 7-millimeter rifle. Now, caliber and cartridge designation are another one of those terms that are used interchangeably when they're, they're that's not necessarily the case. <laughs> caliber only technically means the diameter of the gun barrel, uh, but people use it to describe the cartridge itself, and there are many different cartridges uh, that use the same diameter bullets. And this is one of those areas where things can get extremely confusing. Right, right. Uh, so if you're, you know, you're really what you need to ask somebody is what cartridge are you using as opposed to what caliber are you using? Because a 3030, a 308, a 30-06, a 300 Win Mag, they all 
are 30 caliber. They all use the exact same diameter bullet, but there's a wide variation in the power of those cartridges and the cartridge itself is not interchangeable between those between those rifles there. And those that you just gave, the, all of those 30 caliber uh, rifles, I, I think are great great examples of very popular um, sizes of 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 and, and very popular rifles in modern times used for hunting. And I think I just want people to, to know that don't get overwhelmed with that because that that'll take a long time to get comfortable with it. There are so many variables around it. And I think just, you know, when you're out looking, uh, you know, at guns, just, just ask questions and, and have somebody who's, who's interested in ta- taking some time to explain what they are. They'll go into the specifics, but it can be confusing and, uh, uh, and and it's confusing for everyone is what I'll say. And, and and that's exactly right. But basically, the thing to take away from caliber is it's the diameter of the bore and the diameter of the bullet. And that's not not all there is to it. But a 45 caliber uh, firearm is going to shoot a larger diameter bullet than a 30 caliber, which is larger in diameter than a 22 caliber. Which again are all you know. Rifles shooting one single projectile bullet that would be used for everything from squirrel and rabbit and, you know, your small game to large ungulates, deer and, and, and uh, elk and, and moose, etc. So, um, okay, so that's, that's the rifle side of things. Now, how about sizing on the shotgun side of things? Yeah, shotguns is, a, is another very confusing area uh, there. So shotguns are normally talked about in terms of their gauge. So you have a 12-gauge shotgun or a 20-gauge shotgun. Both of those are, are very popular you know, shotguns that are used by uh, you know, shooters and hunters all, all, all over the world. So we need to head back to the, day, back to the days of black powder like, like, we, we, like we keep doing today. So... A lot, a lot of people probably heard about cannons from you know back in the 1800s. You know, you would you would talk about it like it was a 12-pound cannon or a or an eight-pounder or whatever. And so basically, that didn't describe the bore size of of the cannon, but it described the uh, weight of the ball that it shot. So a 12-pounder would shoot a 12-pound uh, ball. If they're used, if they're made out of the same material, a Round ball that weighs 12 pounds is going to be larger diameter than a round ball that weighs 8 pounds, and that'll be bigger than one that weighs 6 pounds, et cetera, et cetera. So you go down like that, the smaller weight is going to be a smaller diameter. But what happens when you get to something that weighs less than 1 pound? Well, the naming convention switched from pounds to bore when you went below 1 pound. So a 1-bore rifle would shoot a projectile that weighed one pound and that's a really 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 heavy uh, projectile <laughs> there a two bore would shoot one that would weigh a half pound a four bore rifle uh would shoot a projectile that weighed a quarter pound etc cetera, etc cetera. and so you get down to a 12 bore gun it would have a bore size the same size of a one twelfth pound lead ball so that means that a so i just talked about a 12 12 bore 20 bore would have a bore diameter the size of a 120th pound lead ball. So you have a case here where the smaller number, once again with a shotgun, actually is bigger than the than the uh, than the the larger number. So a 12 gauge shotgun is larger than a 20 gauge shotgun. It's very confusing, 
and uh, it goes back to the the old English measurement system there that I'm not even sure why they still use it there. But so that, that's that's what you're talking about there, and that that's basically why a a 12 gauge is bigger than a 16 gauge, which is bigger than a 20 gauge. And and I think you know for to for simplicity's sake, you know most people are going to run into um, two primary sizes, um, and that would be a 12 and a 20, I would say, are the most popular, a 12-gauge shotgun and a 20-gauge shotgun. There are others, like like John had just mentioned, a 16, a 28. I, I think let's just skip 410 in terms of the yeah, size. Yeah, that's another real confusing one, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but again, most commonly you're going to have a 12-gauge, which is a larger option and a 20 gauge, which is, which is smaller. Um, and those are the two most common shotgun gauges out there. Would you agree, John? Oh, oh, definitely. Yeah. That's, that's number one and number two by, by a long stretch. And it's, it's a big gap between them and number three. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, we could go into, into everything from, from, um, I don't know. Do you want Do you want to touch on grains? It's it's it, one yeah, of those. Yeah, we, we we could do that quickly. Um, yeah. That's another important thing. So, grains is a unit of measurement that is used a lot in the gun world. It's really used for bullet weight and for powder weight. And it's important to know that when you're talking about grains, you're not talking about individual granules of powder. Um, just like with gauge and bore. Grains are an old English term of measurement. It was taken from way back in the day when uh, someone determined that an ideal um, seed of cereal, we're going we're gonna to use that weight as a grain. And uh, it's worked out that there are 7,000 grains in a pound. There are 437.5 grains in an ounce. So... Like I said, this is something that's very popular when talking about uh, bullet weight. So if you have a uh, a 200 grain bullet that you're shooting, you can know that okay, that's about half an ounce uh, of a bullet there. And I think that is one of those things that that people usually get confused on when you talk about and, and primarily we're talking bullets and and rifles again, where you know it's 150 grain, 100, 175 grain. Um, cartridge people are thinking it's it's powder or energy in there when it's in fact the the weight of the bullet yeah exactly right and there's there's it is something that you can really get into the weeds on it there but basically a 175 grain bullet is going to be heavier than a 150 grain bullet and it'll probably be going a little bit slower in general you would use a heavier grain bullet so just a heavier grain bullet, one with more mass to it on bigger animals than you would a lighter bullet. So, yeah. So, and, and again, this is where we, we, it starts to get, get a little bit complicated, but grains primarily with, with, uh, with, with rifle and, and handgun. And then unit of measurement, generally speaking for shotguns would transition into ounces, right? Yeah, so normally when you buy, you know, some shotgun ammo, it's going to have a lot of different numbers on the uh, on the box there, but it'll have the gauge, the length of the shell, and usually it'll have the weight of the amount of shot that is contained in it. Um, you know, so usually, yeah, you'd have seven-eighths of an ounce or one-and-a-half ounces of shot, but that is the weight, the total weight of all of the pellets 
that are loaded in that shot shell, whatever it is there. A heavier uh, weight is going to kick a little bit more, but it's going to shoot more pellets out there and it'll be a little bit more powerful. So we could, you know, get into low base versus high base, length of shot shell, et cetera. But I, I am, again, a little bit concerned that it might be overwhelming. And I think what we should probably do is is have a another conversation at some point here and, and do another another episode where we go into that. But I think one of the things that people are probably asking is, OK, got all these factors of different actions, different types of guns, um, different ammunition. Um, you know, where do I start? And actually, before before we get to that last question, I guess I, I, I think, um, you know, talking about shot material, let's 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 touch on that for a moment, because, again, I think that is one of those discussion points that's pretty that's uh, pretty popular nowadays on, on what is the actual material of the of the uh, projectiles. So traditionally, uh, almost all projectiles were lead. Lead is very dense, uh, so you could have something of a of a given um, volume, and it would weigh more than uh, something of the same volume of a less dense material there. And that's important when you're when you're dealing with firearms because you have a limited amount of space to put it in, and so you want something that's kind of heavy, and you get the most uh, most weight out of it there. Think about um, if you're hitting a golf ball versus hitting a ping pong ball. They're about the same size, but that golf ball is going to go a lot further than the ping pong ball will. So that's, that's why it's important to have a, a dense material. Lead was chosen for that because it's dense and because it's also really, really cheap. You can make a lot of ammunition uh, out of lead, and it doesn't cost a lot of money. The problem with lead is that it's a poison, and uh, there, it, it, it can be a contentious subject, but... Uh, but we can kind of skip over that. Basically, if you are hunting waterfowl, so ducks or geese, you have to use non-toxic shot. It is illegal for you uh, to use lead shot there. So you'd be using something like tungsten or or steel or, or, or something like that. That ammunition will be more expensive than lead shot, uh, but it's, 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 it's safer to use. You can do the same thing with, uh, with rifle and handgun ammunition as well. Traditionally, you had a lead bullet. And when you started dealing with higher velocity ammunition, you'd have a lead bullet with a some sort of a jacket around it there. Uh, usually, maybe cop, copper is a very popular one uh, for the jacket. Uh, so you'd have a lead core with a copper jacket on it. Uh, things are heading that same direction with, uh, with rifle ammunition as well, where in California, it's illegal to hunt with any ammunition that contains lead in it. Other places, uh, the law varies. Uh, so you can you have an option of using what is called you know lead free ammunition, monolithic ammunition, non toxic ammunition. Basically, just like with a shotgun shell, it uses a copper bullet or some sort of alloy alloy that does not um, contain lead in it. That ammunition will be a little bit more expensive, but it is something that uh, maybe it is certainly worth considering if you're in an area where you're legally required to do it, and uh, even if you're not. It's also worth looking into as well if you're going to be if you're going to be eating uh, whatever it is that you're that you're shooting there. Um, like I said, it, it is very controversial in some circles, and there's not a tremendous amount of science that says okay, you shoot a deer with a lead core ammunition that um, that lead is going to hurt you when you eat it. Some people, myself included, go the better safe than sorry route, and I hunt with copper ammunition, uh, and so it's just not even something I need to worry about there. 
Yeah, you know, and it's it's one of those things where, you know, sometimes they're mandated, obviously, with waterfall, it's federally mandated to shoot non-toxic. Um, other times, you know, personal choice, like you said, uh, I am I am still I, I still have a fair amount of of lead cartridges for for my rifles. And um, and I, I haven't fully made I do have copper, um, but I haven't made the full uh, switch it. Um, but I do think it is, uh, I think it's one of those better safe than sorry scenarios. And if I would recommend for somebody who's new to hunting, um, if you have the choice, might as well just play the safe route when it comes to, you know, animals you're going to be killing and eating. Um, but, um, but like you said, there, there isn't a whole lot of conclusive evidence along the lines of, um, impacts to humans. There, there is, I don't know if you've been reading any of the studies in recent years, and I even know some people were doing some of the research of the scavenging on gut piles that's going on, and 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 they are looking at lead poisoning of of raptors and eagles and and uh, and other animals that are scavenging on on gut piles of of large large animals uh, that have been. Yeah, the California condor is kind of where all that got started, uh, right yeah. there. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. So, I mean, one other thing to consider, again, don't get overwhelmed, but, you know, if you um, if you are concerned about it, you once you make a, a purchase of a, of a gun, um, you can you can just uh, have discussion with the person, a knowledgeable person in the firearms department of your sporting goods store and just say, you know, what are my non-toxic options? And there there are multiple different different options of what you can what you can choose from. You, know, you go back. 30 years you might have had just one option but yeah almost every big ammo company makes some sort of non-toxic ammo and so you should be able to find something that shoots accurately in in whatever firearm it is that you're using there and this stuff is generally even though it is more expensive it generally performs very very well uh on game Uh, so if it as long as you get something that works well on your rifle uh it will do the job if you do the job and put it where it needs to go yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I couldn't agree more from the standpoint of, of waterfall, the, the non-toxic options that were available 20, 30 years ago, uh, I have to say were, were pretty horrible. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> not good. And, uh, and the products that are out there now for non-toxic options are, are really good for shotguns, especially, uh, in my personal opinion, my, my experience of what, what I've, uh, what I've been able to see. So, um, again, something else we can maybe do a future discussion on, on specifically that topic. But what, what I'd like to talk about now is, is, you know, where do people start? Like if, if somebody's, you know, just starting out hunting, um, and they're going to, let's say they're going to become, um, like I like to call myself a certified generalist. I, I, you know, some people do want to go heavy into either big game hunting out West or they want to be an upland hunter or they're waterfowl only hunters. But let's say somebody is, is going to come into this world and they're like, you know what, I just sort of want to try out a bunch of different things. And and I think I'm, I'm going to have interest in doing everything from small game to, to birds that could be upland or waterfowl. Um, and, and I also want to try my hand at, at, at deer hunting. What do you, what do you recommend from the standpoint of directionally where they look at for, for firearms? So you can go a couple of different routes like this. You could really do it all with just one gun if you had a good shotgun. Uh, but that becomes a very generalized tool that 
works okay for some things, but not great for others. Um, but a shotgun is a really good place to start where you can hunt small game, upland game, waterfowl with it, all just by changing the different types of ammunition that you use with it. Like I said, use smaller size shot, like seven and a half uh, for um, some of the s- smaller game like dove, then maybe go up to a little bit larger size as you go up in size and toughness of the game with squirrels, rabbits, pheasants, turkey, waterfowl, etc. Um, another way of, uh, of, of going, and you could also even use that shotgun to hunt deer with, with, with buckshot or a slug barrel. And it wasn't something I talked about earlier, uh, but basically... Birdshot is the very smallest size shot, and buckshot is much larger. So where you, as you, whereas you might have several hundred uh, individual pellets of birdshot in a shotgun shell, you may only have eight, nine, ten, twenty um, buckshot pellets. They'll be much individually much larger, and you could, you know, at, at short range, they're they're very deadly on a deer. You can also use a slug uh, on it, which is one very large projectile. That's it's. Like shooting a rifle, uh, but just out of a shotgun. And and I, you know, check with your uh, your state game laws. Uh, a lot of states do not allow buckshot, even though it's called buckshot. They don't mm-hmm. allow you to shoot deer with it. But I think, like you said, in terms of um, one option for a single sort of all-around gun, um, we've touched on a couple of those brands, Remington and Mossberg, I think are, are probably the most common ones of where you could you could get a combo kit where it's going to come with, to the discussion earlier on, on barrel type, it's going to come with a smooth barrel for um, for bird hunting, and it's and then you can take that and, and take that off of the base of the stock of the gun and, and your, 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 uh, action and put on a rifled barrel and use that for slugs for deer. Um, and so I think that is definitely a, a good option that is, that is versatile. It's not ideal, but it's, it's pretty versatile. And if you want to just do one gun is probably the, one of the best options. If you wanted to go with two or three guns, my my recommendations would be to get a shotgun as one and then to uh, get a rimfire rifle um, a, as another one. And so a rimfire is going to function exactly like any other rifle, but just uses much less powerful ammunition, which is great for small game, but you're going to have very, very little recoil and it's not going to be nearly as loud. So that's going to be great for like rabbits and squirrels. And then you could use your shotgun for hunting birds uh where it's not safe and not legal to use your your rimfire rifle so you could use that for dove uh quail waterfowl etc and then uh the my third recommendation would be to get some sort of a centerfire rifle uh to hunt big game with something like a 270 a 3030 a 30-06 there's a bunch of different choices out there that are going to work very well for that that are going to be um a much better choices than the shotgun um for hunting game at you know at extended range say out past 50 yards uh right there so you you kind of fill in that gap where the shotgun kind of starts to drop off in its effectiveness and so you don't don't get too wrapped up on this cartridge is better than that cartridge you know which one do i need i would say start with the 308 or the 30-06 they're going to be great choices if you can't handle that uh if it's maybe a little bit too too powerful kicks a little bit too much for you maybe step it down to a seven millimeter 08 or a 270 which are still going to be plenty powerful for deer and almost any other species of big game but they're not going to recoil quite as much uh but, but like i said they'll still be 
have a you can still shoot out to a couple hundred yards with it and it's still more than powerful enough for hunting deer elk etc as long as you do your part as the shooter john what do you what do you um think about new versus used gun purchases i personally i've done it both ways uh, you can if you get a gun here's here's the good news most guns these days are are pretty well built and and the last uh, as long as the person that is using them doesn't abuse them. Um, and so you can get a very good high-quality firearm uh, for a reasonable price, less than you would pay for it new if you buy it used. You buy it used. But the problem with that is um, you just have to know what to look for when you're shopping for it, just like buying a used car. And some people uh, are comfortable doing that, and you can, you know, you, you check out the rifle. And, and like I said, for the most part, you know, a lot of people only shoot their rifle 20, 20 times a year, if even that. And so, and then they just spend a lot of time sitting in the safe. And if that's the case, you could get a good deal on something that's still uh, very lightly used. Uh, but you also run the risk of something that was not well taken care of and may not shoot accurately and, and may not be safe to, safe to shoot. Yeah, I guess I, I would I would encourage people, if, if they're thinking of trying to save a few bucks by going the used route, uh, have somebody who knows guns um, with you when you're when you're looking at them to be able to spot something that might be problematic. Um, otherwise, maybe go the safe route. Like you said, you know, there there's some affordable entry level guns nowadays that you can get new for for very reasonable prices. Yeah, definitely, definitely true. There, you can get. You know, you were talking about um, how. You know, duck hunting ammunition has has really improved over the course of your lifetime, uh, and the same thing has really happened just with firearms in general. Uh, you can get a gun now that is uh, less expensive relatively and performs as good or better uh, than anything that we had available 30 years ago outside of a custom gun. It's it's amazing. We're living in something of a golden age like that. Like the stuff my dad had. Um, yeah, it was was not nearly as good as what you can buy off the shelf, uh, you know, at, at, at a store now, even a budget rifle. And, and the stuff that they had back then was good, but uh, in many cases, you can just get better stuff now. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Well, John, I, I think this has been a great, uh, you know, initial discussion to give people some ideas about what are the basics of, of firearms. Um, what do I need to know if I'm if I'm buying my first firearm uh, and some of those questions. And so we'll put in the show notes uh, some links to some great blog posts you've got on your website about shotguns and, and, and rifles and um, and anything else that you think would be to, good to share with the with the, the audience. More than anything else, it, it's important for you to, to buy a firearm that you're comfortable with and that you can shoot accurately. And if if um, if you're comfortable with it, then you're going to be more incentivized to spend time at the range and learn how to shoot it. And then you're probably going to shoot better with it than you would um, something that you were afraid of. So don't worry about going out and getting um, – don't worry so much about getting the absolute best you know, cartridge for, for this or that. Get a 12-gauge or a 20-gauge shotgun or a 22 long rifle rifle 
and something in 270, 30-06, something like that to hunt big game with. And then all of those are going to do the job. And then you just work on improving your comfort level with it and then your skill with that firearm. And whatever it is that you get, um, you're probably going to be the weak link in it. And that's the case with everyone. Uh, I'm not picking on on anyone because that's definitely the case with me. Like I said, my guns can shoot better than, than I can shoot them. Uh, but spend some time practicing with them, get good with them. And then even if you have something like a, like a 270 that some people may consider to be marginal for a really big game like elk or moose, if you can shoot it really well, then it's going to do just fine for you. So worry about improving your skills more so than worrying about your equipment. I couldn't agree more. And that's, and that's something I'm always challenged with myself of, of getting out to practice and, and, and get to the range and make sure I'm competent with it because schedules are busy and, and it can be tough. But I think that's a really great point to make. Make sure you get something you're comfortable with. Um, it's more important than size of caliber probably is accuracy of place, shot placement and, uh, and enjoy it. Have fun. I think if you haven't shot before, you're going to you're going to have your eyes open to a, a fun new activity uh, shooting um, shooting at the range can be really fun. And so uh, I, I hope you have fun. If you have questions, uh, just shoot us an email and uh, check out John's blog and uh, look for our next episode. Yeah, definitely. There's some great articles uh, on the blog, like you said, about uh, shotguns. And then if you really wanted to dive into the nitty gritty on the difference between this cartridge versus that one, uh, the blog is a good way to, to do that as well. And also go to uh, BigGameHuntingPodcast.com and uh, make sure you subscribe to to my podcast for a lot more discussions uh, like this, if that's something that you're interested in. Absolutely. Thanks so much, John, and uh, great stuff, and uh, look forward to continuing our conversations. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Modern Carnivore Podcast. You can continue the journey by going to modcarn.com.